Optics. This is the Irrationally Exuberant. I'm Reed Messerschmidt. It is light. It is dark. It is light again. It is very dark. Dusk settles. Something like dusk. A queasy night vision green stamped with a throbbing amber moon. It is my backyard, but it isn't. Josh is there, and Ben, and Ryan, but he's very young, and then not Josh, and me, and Tony, and Brian Lowers from high school, and Jake, and then Josh. They're golfing, and then not Josh, hitting balls, and it is light, silent, and I am watching, and it is dark, and I am not me, but I am watching me, and then Josh. And there are pigs in the yard, first the impression of pigs, followed by pulsing pig representations, and it is yellow dusk, and the pulsing pig representations are too big, and then Josh, and there is a baby that is not mine that I need to take care of, that looks like me, and then not Josh, and then Josh, and then not Ben, and Josh is going into the neighbor's house to take a piss, and they aren't home, but the lights are on, and I am furious, and then not Josh, and the pulsing pig representations are again just the impressions of pigs and they are many and the pigs are in danger I can feel it and then Josh and it is light and the pigs are pigs now tangible pigs and have green eyes and then Ben and then not Josh and Marshall is in the house and I am in the house and Josh is in the house and then not Josh and Kelly wafts through blinking her eyes wildly and it is very bright and then Josh and where is the baby and then not Josh and I can hear an uncle in the other room and it is very bright and then Josh and Ben and Marshall and Tony and my brother and me and a pig and the baby and then not Josh and this doesn't make sense I realize this doesn't make sense and I realize I'm dreaming and then it is light and everything slows down comes into focus everything is focused and still lucid the house is mine and I am lucid I'm dreaming I say this aloud, and the words pulse through the air in concentric circles. Dreaming. I am in my kitchen. Everything is there. It is my kitchen, but more ethereal, maybe. And Josh and Ben and Tony and Ryan and Jake and Marshall and Brian Lowers and the green-eyed pig are just standing still, staring at me, waiting for me to do something. So I put a hat on the pig with my mind, a beautiful deep brown bowler. Everyone smiles. I breathe. This is my dream and I can do literally anything I want. The laws of physics and morality do not apply to me. I could fly through the air like a crow. I could make Josh do things to the pig. I could combine Josh with the pig to make a pig Josh and have Ben do things with pig Josh. I could punch pig Josh into a billion smaller pigs with spaghetti knuckles. I don't know what that means exactly, but I could do it. I could make them all perform an elaborate three-part very special episode of Charles in Charge where the pig plays Charles and Tony plays Buddy and Buddy is experimenting with PCP and Charles has to help him and hide it from the kids. It could be brilliant and disgusting. And I could play Mr. Belvedere. Hell, I could be Mr. Belvedere even though he's not even in Charles in Charge. I could make Mr. Belvedere a member of the Charles in Charge universe with my mind. Anything. This world, as they say, is my oyster. I could literally make this world into an oyster. Instead, I retreat to my studio, 
to record this podcast. In 1902, Willis Carrier recorded a remarkable dream in his dream journal. Two dream descriptions in a row might be a bit much, but bear with me. July 16th, 1902. Dearest Diary, last night I dreamt the most remarkable dream. To call it a dream, in fact, does it no justice. It was more than a dream, I believe. Vision may be the word. Revelation, perhaps. It began ordinarily enough. I was trudging through the disgusting streets of Brooklyn on yet another punishingly hot day, stinking to high heaven as everybody does all of the time, cursing the three-piece wool suit that people of this particular point in history are cursed to wear, no matter the weather. My God, life is a nightmare. Good Lord, the stench. Heavens to Betsy, the rashes. Oh, the rashes. It's a wonder that a person ever accomplishes even the most menial of tasks, whilst drenched head to toe in sticky hot sweat, his crotch dappled in scarlet red, itching like the Dickens, his olfactory sense barraged from all corners each and every moment of each and every hellish day with the ghastly odor of three million wretched reeking New Yorkers, barely holding on to consciousness as they teeter on the precipice of heat strokes or wage a futile battle against retching from the pungency. I was contemplating all of this, praying for the sweet relief of the reaper's refreshingly cold, gnarled touch, when a curious storefront caught my eye. One I hadn't noticed before, though I have made this walk innumerable times. It was called Breezy Jeff's Emporium. What kind of name is Jeff, I thought. I felt compelled to step inside, so I pushed through its unornamented door. The most wonderful thing happened as the door opened. I was enveloped by cool, soothing air, the likes of which I have never felt before. It was as if God himself had exhaled upon me. I began to weep with joy. When I had regained my composure, I looked about myself to ascertain the nature of the establishment, but there was little to see. The walls stood bare, and I appeared to be alone. That is when it struck me. This must be a dream. Surprised to find myself so aware of this fact, while still in the dream state, I nearly awoke. The storm began to fade. Not wishing to ever leave this icy paradise, I willed it back into solidity with great effort and found that I was able to move about of my own free will. I heard a loud humming noise from the back of the store, but was unable to see its source. I went to investigate and found, around a corner, a strange contraption which seemed to be the source of the noise and, to my amazement, the cool air. My God, I thought, a machine that cools the air. This could change everything. I had to bring this miracle to the real world. A dipped quill and paper materialized in my hands and I began to make sketches and notes pertaining to its construction. Upon awakening, I immediately transcribed my dream notes, and I'll be McKinley's old mother if I don't believe this thing can actually work. I must retreat now to my laboratory to assemble a prototype. This invention, if I am not sorrowfully mistaken, could be our cool savior from the oppressive god of heat, and I must waste no time in building it. Willis Carrier's vision was not the first lucid dream recorded in history, but it very well may be the most significant and is a fine introduction to the topic. 
The invention of the air conditioner ushered in the modern age, making life bearable for the first time in human history. How does a man discover something so consequential and practical in the non-dream world while in the dream world? How does he gain the ability to understand that he is dreaming and act proactively within the dream? The answers are elusive, highly controversial, and in this podcast, wildly simplified and occasionally misrepresented. Lucid dreaming is essentially a dream in which one becomes impassive, conscious of the dream state, and able to control one's actions and surroundings within the dream. To really understand lucid dreaming, you must first understand dreaming, which no one does for sure. You'll get different explanations for why we dream and what, if anything, dreams mean for scientists, psychologists, religious fanatics, psychics, your mother, or the quiet guy you work with who, when they do finally talk, reveal themselves to be profoundly unpleasant. There's very little agreement even within these groups. One unnerving guy at the office might say that dreams are visions from God, while another insists that they are representations of repressed sexual desires. Back slowly away from both of these men. They're the ones who make that horrible mess in the bathroom, probably. I'm talking about you, Kurt. A dream is essentially a hallucination, a creation of your mind. You see things in your dream, but not with your eyes. A real stoner mind fuck. There's no particular portion of the brain that these images arise from, that anyone knows of anyway. It's kind of a biological ocean whose depths are completely unknown to us despite its relative nearness. There is one theory, variations of which are currently the most pervasive, that dreams are a kind of informational sieve, a way for our brain to filter out useless information and sort the things we need, resulting in a kind of free associative hodgepodge of thoughts and images that really only seem to make sense because of our conscious tendency to string miscellaneous information into a kind of narrative. Sort of like how if you watch a movie on mute, any music you play will seem to sync up with it. The dark side of Oz phenomenon, if you will. It is nearly impossible to talk about dreams, apparently, without sounding like you just took a bong rip. I have to ask, though, if it is truly the case that dreams are a mechanism for sorting and filtering information, why have I retained such a vast store of knowledge about the Golden Girls and Shanana, but couldn't, under any circumstance, tell you my wife's phone number? Either this theory is bunk or my sieve is broken. Freud was somewhat a proponent of this explanation, though he added that dreams were a means of latent wish fulfillment and deeper revelations about oneself could be sussed out through analysis. Those deeper revelations tended to be sex stuff. I'd really like to get his take on which wish I was fulfilling in the dream I had where a group of monks marched into my room to tell me that Jeff Goldblum had died. Jung largely concurred with Freud, but was much less phallocentric and posited that the existence of common dreams, which he called archetypes, flying, unpreparedness, secret rooms, Jeff Goldblum, were an expression of a unified human consciousness. L. Ron Hubbard, a lunatic, said that, quote, dreams are crazy house mirrors by which the analyzer looks down into the Engram bank. I have no idea what that means, and I don't care to find out. There are a few things we know absolutely about dreams, specifically which parts of the brain aren't active during sleep. 
the motor cortex, for instance. It is responsible for musculoskeletal control, moving your body. When the motor cortex is stimulated during sleep, as is the case with a sleep disorder called violent sleep, which has been recreated in animal experiments, the dreamer will act out their dreams. Dogs will dig at the air, cats roam around, aimless and ominous, and humans have been known to attack whoever happens to be in bed with them. A prostitute named Fancy, for example. Activity also decreases in the prefrontal regions of the brain responsible for episodic memory and integrating information. It's the reason dreams don't usually make a lot of sense. I could go on about REM sleep, neurological theories, wet dreams, but this is supposed to be about lucid dreaming, so let's talk about that. Here's the thing. We don't really know whether lucid dreaming is real. Dreams are notoriously difficult, if not impossible, to monitor, so the specifics of dreams are kind of beyond us. There's a very real chance that lucid dreams are just dreams of being lucid, not actual lucidity within a dream. The study most often cited in its favor basically consisted of a researcher telling a subject to move his eyes in a certain way in his sleep. Apparently he did, but it was just side to side. So we are left with personal testimony, and there is certainly a lot of it. Lucid dreamers love talking about lucid dreaming. If you begin a conversation with one, it won't end until you've heard all of their tales of flying over psychedelic meadows, chatting with their dead grandpappy about the tofu situation in heaven, and betting Khaleesi, the mother of dragons, and agreed that they are highly evolved, mystical super people. What they won't tell you is that even their sweet Aunt Kathy won't return their calls anymore. Avoid them at all costs. In fact, avoid everyone at all costs just to be safe. They'll also tell you how you can become one of them. Oh my God, you don't meditate? You have to meditate. They'll tell you about looking at your hands or flipping light switches on and off or reading a digital clock several times a day. These are what's known as reality checks. The idea is that if you get used to confirming that you're not dreaming during your waking hours, the habit will persist into your dreams and you'll become lucid when you realize you are dreaming. They'll tell you about binaural beats, beats of two different frequencies, one being fed into each ear, which create a third frequency in your brain that theoretically produces relaxation, concentration, and when you're sleeping, lucid dreams. It's sometimes called brainwave entertainment, which may or may not also be the title of a Skrillex album, another thing I don't care to find out, and sounds like a computer attempting Peruvian pan flute music. They'll tell you about taking B vitamins before you go to bed, as well as an exhaustive list of additional supplements that have not been approved by the FDA. They'll encourage you to keep a dream journal, make your own dream pillow, eat cheese before bed to have what they call, horrifyingly, cheese dreams. Set an alarm to wake you up every 90 minutes and wear a REM-inducing mask, none of which seem conducive to any kind of sleep, let alone a deep one. They'll tell you that if you do become lucid, you should ask the dream to let you become lucid more easily next time. They'll continue shouting these things at you as you slowly back away from them and they'll chase after you when you turn and break into a dead sprint. These people are relentless and will stop at nothing to share their inner peace. And God damn it if I don't want to be one of these people. I've tried a good number of their methods, not as an ironic experiment, but in earnest. I would very much like to lucid dream. It sounds amazing. 
Passive sleep feels like a necessary waste of time, but conscious sleep eliminates that burden. You never have to stop doing. And I want to pause that recurring dream I have where I'm lost and half nude in a massive hotel with a random assortment of acquaintances and dream people while reports of an alien invasion blast from unseen speakers and then finally find that Morrissey concert in the lobby that I've been trying to get to for all of these years. I want to explore the room in the house that I grew up in that no one knew was there. I want to hear and remember music that doesn't exist in the real world. Music that evidently lives inside me that I don't have access to. And goddammit, I want to have consequence-free dream sex with Ferris Bueller's girlfriend Sloan. Not to mention that the implications of lucid dreaming are pretty wild. If you are able to actively alter the projections of your id and ego, what does that mean? Something, I'm sure of it. So, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to binge eat some cheese, strap on my dream goggles, and take a brief, hopeful nap. And while I do, please enjoy a beautiful song called Belvedere's 33rd Dream. What does lucid dreaming mean for dream theory? It's an interesting question. Does the ability to become aware within a dream disprove the prevalent theory that dreams are a way for the brain to sort and store information? I don't know, but it seems to me that consciously interacting with one's unconscious could be dangerous, so I've compiled a comprehensive A to Z list of common dream totems as well as the precautions, strategies, and etiquette one should employ when confronting them. Take heed, friends. In the dance with your deepest self, one wrong step can lead to permanent madness. Abominable snowman. Basically a yuletide yeti. This means you're excited for Christmas because you're probably going to get that metal detector you've been wanting. Everybody that said that a guy in his late 30s doesn't need a metal detector, that they're for children and creepy old men that spend far too much time quote-unquote searching for treasure in the vicinity of playgrounds is going to eat their words when you're wearing a vest encrusted with all the glorious booty you're sure to find by the river and not really even that close to a playground. 
The abominable snowman understands this, so once you become lucid, fear him not. Materialize a metal detector and take him with you to unearth glorious dream doubloons hidden in the backyard of the house you grew up in. Blockbuster. Finding yourself patronizing or even just seeing a blockbuster video is a sure sign that you're dreaming and a great marker to help you become lucid. It also means that you're nostalgic for the recent past, so rent a recording of what it is you're wistful for and relive it as many times as you'd like. For instance, you can pick up the DVD copy of the time you invited a homeless fellow into your downtown apartment to drink whiskey and listen to soul records, but then he wouldn't leave, so you had to forcibly remove him, even though he was much bigger than you, and your brother was there and ready to hit the guy with a wrench if it came to that, but luckily it didn't. That's a good one. And don't be afraid to pick up as many boxes of raisinets as you'd like. Dream calories don't count. A carafe, that is, a blind glass. A kind in glass and a cousin, a spectacle and nothing strange, a single hurt color and an arrangement in a system to pointing. All this and not ordinary, not unordered in not resembling. The difference is spreading, obviously. Dolly Lama. Dreams, like episodes of The Simpsons, are filled with visual puns. So, His Holiness the Dalai Lama may appear to you in your dream as a llama with two L's. The furry, dumb-looking, humpless camel kind. Or, I suppose, Lorenzo Lamas of renegade and celebrity boot camp fame. The Dalai Lama is filled with wisdom, so go ahead and ask him what to do about your alarming compulsion to eat entire sleeves of salting crackers in one sitting. Eric. Eric is an asshole, has been since junior high school. Just ignore him and he'll go away. Fish. Fish, or any underwater creature really, are not to be trusted and would love nothing more than to devour the parts of you hidden below the murky depths, trapping you in their belly forever, unable to wake from your hellish new nightmare existence as a mishmash of parts, yours and other dream victims, confined inside of a scaly, subaquatic alien. Never go into a natural body of water, in or out of a dream. It's just not worth it. Take it from me, a man whose left nipple was once bitten by a sunfish. I live to tell about it, though I am forever tortured by the memory. You may not be so lucky. Gary. Gary is an alabaster-skinned porcelain doll in a lederhosen that looks a lot like me. Unlike me, he's super fun and wants to party. If you see him in your lucid dream, tell him I said hello and just go wherever he takes you. Hair shirt. A hair shirt is a shirt made of hair, often human. It is scratchy as all get out and worn against the skin to atone for various sins. If you're wearing a hair shirt in your dream, I've got news for you. Something is seriously off inside your thought box. Take that shit off, you fool, and get yourself to a therapist. I, as in me. If you see me in your dreams, first of all, I am honored. Second of all, say hello, but please respect my boundaries and remember, I do not care for small talk. If you have something fun to say about, say, Fleetwood Mac or late period Beach Boys or the 1893 World's Fair, cool. But if not, let's just leave it at a hello and a polite nod. Jukebox. In a dream jukebox, you can play literally anything you want, 
but if you play anything other than the Lost Beach Boys album Smile or the complete unedited Nixon tapes, I'm not even sure what you're doing here. Karen. Karen's cool. Tell her I say hello. If she's wearing that Joy Division shirt she borrowed, never gave back, assure her that it's hers now and she shouldn't feel guilty about taking it, even though it was my favorite shirt. Even if you did manage to get it off her, you can't bring physical objects from the dream world to the waking world, so don't even bother. Liquor. Say you've been sober for almost nine years. Say, I don't know, you had a tendency to go way overboard with the hard stuff. Say it became a problem. Say you come across some liquor in your beautiful lucid dream. Say it's a symbol of a deep-seated and unhealthy desire to give up control. I mean, you could probably drink it without repercussions, but wouldn't that negate your sobriety? Wouldn't that? Mr. Belvedere. I've made this pretty clear already, but use your imagination. Mr. Belvedere's appearance without prompting probably indicates that you have some father issues and just need an elegant man with a quick wit to give you a little guidance. He'd make a perfect addition to any cast. You could put him in the West Wing, for instance, or Family Matters. Imagine how frustrated he'd get with Urkel. They'd work it out in the end, though, and become the best of friends, I'm sure of it. Negro. If you see a black person in your dreams and are calling him a Negro, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. You need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Octopus. An octopus doesn't mean anything at all. Polo shirts. This is a tough one. What kind of polo shirt is it exactly? If it's from, like, American Eagle or something, your subconscious is telling you to dress better. Don't get offended. It's just trying to help. Dream wish that shit into a snap button western shirt and go confidently on your way. When you wake up, do something about that wardrobe, bro. If the polo is a vintage white navy and marigold Jack Nicholas golden bear golf polo, you are slick as all get out, my friend. Keep doing what you're doing. Probably wooing a young Jane Goodall with a cool shirt like that. Quackers. Quackers is a funny name for ducks. Ducks in your lucid dream mean that you have cancer. Don't ask me why. I'm just reporting the facts, lady. Rumpelstiltskins. Rumpelstiltskins is a weird little magic elf that wants to take your children. Your guess is as good as mine. Sports. You'll often find yourself playing sports in dreams, though never in real life. This is a representation of your feelings of inferiority as a child and resentment toward your dad for making you play all those dumb games even though you were chubby and slow and just wanted to read a fucking book. This is your dream and you are lucid, so your dad can't make you participate in this nonsense anymore. Just walk off the field or court or whatever and find a nice library. Taters. If you encounter taters in your dream, wrap them in tinfoil and toss them in the oven. They are delicious. They don't really mean anything, but there's nothing like the taste of a baked dream tater. Udders. There's a good chance that you're going to have udders in your dream. If you're lucid, you can either wish them away or milk yourself. Now, it doesn't have to be milk that comes out of them, of course. It could be electric blue raspberry Kool-Aid, for instance. That's the best Kool-Aid for sure. It could also be glue, in case you want to spend your dream working on some arts and crafts projects. 
I don't know why, with the boundaryless world of your own mind's creation, you'd want to spend your time doing arts and crafts, squirting adhesive goop out of your udders, but to each his own. The udders, by the way, are a representation of your irrational anxiety about losing one or both of your nipples, stemming from the story you heard about Axl Rose getting one of his nipple rings tore out in a fight with Vince Neil that probably isn't true, and you can't even find a record of it online, as well as that incident with the fish I told you about earlier. Vincent Price. Ha. <sighs> So the great actor and raconteur has graced your lowly lucid dream with his bewitching presence. Lucky you. He doesn't mean anything, really. He's just delightful. Ask him about the time he and Orson Welles had a wine drinking contest. You'll never guess how it ends. Here's a hint. It involves Hedy Lamar and a turtle. Wigwams. You may find yourself in a massive field dotted with wigwams. This may be because you fell asleep listening to the Bob Dylan song Wigwam from his little-loved album Self-Portrait. What's next is up to you. Xylophone. Admittedly, this is a stretch. You probably won't see a xylophone in your dream unless you really want to and materialize one. There just aren't that many words that start with X. YMCA. This will definitely happen at some point in your lucid dreaming. You're in a YMCA. The older, better one downtown, not the soulless new one further south. You're a child and you're lost in its labyrinthine hallways. You turn a corner and there he is, a naked old man sitting on a couch watching Sports Center. His testicle sack splayed out for all the world to see. Apparently this man doesn't have a television at home or he just hates his wife and wants some peace and quiet. What other explanation could there be? He is a representation of your fear of death. You must kill him to overcome it. It will be gross. Zubas. You might not even notice that you're wearing Zubas at first. Picture this. You're walking up and down the hallways of a massive hotel, unsure of what you're looking for. Voices are coming from some of the rooms. Voices that are familiar to you. Your mother and father together again, laughing about tigers. Your Aunt Joan having a shouting match with what sounds like Michael McDonald, his silky tenor cushioning crushing insults. The beagle you briefly owned as a child, Eddie, barking while your sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Ward, cries. The erotic whispers of the smelly kids you went to high school with. I wonder if they got less smelly, you think. And you open the door only to find a blurry lakeside scene. Well, that's curious, you say aloud. The scene comes into focus. It looks like your extended family is gathered at this murky lake for a reunion. They're just standing there, faces blank, staring over the water. You follow their gaze into nothingness. And then... Ha! Oh! Oh! What? Oh my god. It was all a dream. What's wrong, Reed? Oh. Uh, nothing, I guess. I just had the most amazing dream that I was recording the greatest podcast of all time. It was called The Irrationally Exuberant, and the episode was about lucid dreams. It was so good. Lucid, you say? How did it start? Well, picture this. It is light. It is dark. It is light again. It is very dark. Dusk settles. Something like dusk, a queasy night vision green stamped with a throbbing amber moon. 
It is my backyard, but it isn't. Josh is there, and Ben, and Ryan, but he's very young, and then not Josh, and me, and Tony, and Brian Lowers from high school, and Jake, and then Josh. Hard Fix Network.